You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We are continuing on our study in the book of James. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is our text today. Uh, If you were with us last week, uh, David Elliott... um, Awesome. Yep. Taught an awesome message, uh, finishing chapter one, and we jump into chapter two today. And if you have been with us, you know that we are in a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of James this fall leading up till Christmas time. And we are digging in. We're allowing God to speak to us, and we're allowing James's letter to minister to us. And so... Um, We're going to jump right into chapter 2 of this letter that James is writing to Christians, to the church. Um, Even though it was written some 2,000 years ago to Jewish believers scattered across the Middle East, Northern Africa, and Europe, it is for us today as followers of Jesus, for us to glean from and be encouraged by and exhorted by, and I will say challenged by today. If you know anything about the book of James, There's 54 imperatives in this book. It's just a bunch of different ideas that James is trying to communicate to this church that in some ways it's scattered, they're struggling, maybe they're falling away, maybe they're just struggling, whatever it is, we're going to feel today there is a little bit of correction in the tone of James. Or there's a little bit of like caution and warning in this text. But again, it is for the sake of that we as believers or those that uh, call ourselves Christians, that we'd be reminded of what it is to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be like Christ to those around us, uh, specifically when people are different from us. And so um, why don't you read with me James 2, 1 through 13. I'll be reading out of the NLT translation. I have it on the screen for you, but here it says, my dear brothers and sisters, How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give a special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, You can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? You're like, already, you're like, okay, wow, James. We're getting into it. But then he keeps going. He says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Again, this is his family. This is his church. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. 
So whatever you say or do, remember that you'll be judged by the law and, uh, that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those that have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Okay, no problem. Let's pray. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the section of your word that you have us in. And God, we do believe this is your word. It's God-breathed and God-inspired, and it's profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, so that the woman or man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. And Lord, even with a text like this today, I pray in advance that our hearts would be humble and open, willing for you to search our hearts where we may have fallen into certain areas of favoritism or discrimination or as our text points out, Christians, the church is not immune to this. We, as a people gathered today, want to become more like you. We want to be more loving. We want to be more gracious and more merciful, specifically to those that are different than us. So God, we are open and we desire to hear from you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you direct my speech and these words? I pray they would be a, a demonstration of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what James is doing here is, I believe he's really getting to the heart of Christianity, right? He's reminding the church here and us today of what Jesus said when he was asked what was most important. Because again, if you remember, Jesus spent three and a half years of public ministry. Most of that was around the Sea of Galilee, northern Israel, but then it ended in Jerusalem, and he would teach, and he would preach, and he would perform miracles, and there was a lot of things that he communicated. But there was a time where people were like, you know, came to him and said, hey, I know you've said a lot, but what are the, what's the most important thing? If we forget everything else, what's the most important thing? And this is what he said, Matthew 22, 35 through 40 says this, one of them, an expert in the religious law, in the crowds that were following Jesus, they tried to trap him with this question. He said, teacher, speaking to Jesus, teacher, which is the most, uh, most important commandment in the law of Moses in the Old Testament? What's the most important commandment we should follow? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Then he said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So again, if, you've, if Christianity seems complicated, if the Bible seems overwhelming, ooh, what does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus just said, what is the most important two things? Love God with everything that you are. And in turn, because of that, love your neighbor as yourself. There's other things that are also are important. But again, when Jesus is asked what's the most important, he says it. And what James is doing is he's reiterating what Jesus said. Love God and love your neighbor. But here's, here's where uh, it gets sobering, I would say. 
loving our neighbor is directly connected to our love for God. It, it kind of is the telltale of where your relationship with Jesus really is, depending on how you treat the person next to you. And again, what James is saying, especially when they're really different than you. That's, that's hard. That's the hardest, that's the hardest person. But again, loving your neighbor is directly connected to our love for God. And there's a lot of places that you can get this from, but uh, I think a really good place to go is 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read a little section here, so you might want to write it down, and I have it on the screen. But 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Again, it's just, I'm just pulling in different texts to try to communicate the same idea. John here, speaking to Christians, right again, look at, dear friends, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See the connection. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he, is us, and he in us, he has given us his spirit. And if we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God uh, has for us. God is love. Whoever lo lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among those that we also have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, listen, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Again, it's not just James. Now it's John. He says it's a big deal. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Again, I want, I want you to see that like, not only do you, do, you, do, you, do you stress, you see the importance, but also there's like a direct connection. If you love God, you love your neighbor. If you're not loving your neighbor, you need, to, you need to seriously think about how you and Jesus are doing. Again, this is a sober reminder, but it's at the core of Christianity that loving our neighbor is directly connected to our love to God. And again, James is reminding these believers and us today, um, again, it's not about how much we come to church or how much we give or how much we serve that shows us that we know and, and love Jesus, but rather how we treat others is the telltale of where we're at. 
Because a lot of times we like to go, ooh, yeah, I, I feel good because I do this much. And so I think because I do this much, I'm pretty good with Jesus. We're really performance, you know, check the box off people. And right, we get to a certain spot, we're like, we're good with Jesus. And James is like, actually, it's all about how you just love other people. And to get specific, right, James here, really Jesus in the Bible as a whole, um, but says it's specifically how we treat those who aren't like us or are different. Those that are marginalized, those that are oppressed, those that are outcasts of society, these are the defining characteristics. And Jesus modeled that. He was the only one that would touch the leper. He's the only one that would dine with the prostitutes. He's the only one that went out of his way to the woman at Samaria. Everyone that was outcast, downtrodden, marginalized. Like this is who he made a point to love. James here, right, is he's confronting Christians or a Christian's conscious or subconscious tendency to extend favoritism to some and not others, right? For James, in our context today, it's socioeconomic status, rich and poor. He uses that example, right? In our context today, it's a church gathering, right? He's speaking to Christians, and he says, in your meetings, in your gatherings, if someone poor comes in, how you know that you're loving God is how well or poor you treat them, right? How well we welcome and treat them. And his whole point is, in the, the kind of the question he's, you know, asking is, to, to these believers and to us, is are they ascribing different value and dignity to someone who is rich compared to someone who is poor? Because James said, you shouldn't have any difference. And on that note, I think it's only right that we allow this topic to challenge us to check ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts um, because we may not be aware that we too may struggle with this. Again, this is where it, it gets personal, but it's only right to read the Bible that way. If we were only going to keep it 2,000 years ago, I think we're completely missing the point. Yes, it's good to know context, but equally it's like, how does this apply to you and I today? What's the, what's the context for us today? Because again, it's not just how we treat and view those who are rich or poor, right? This concept applies to how we treat anyone different than us. How they look, where they're from, their ethnic makeup, which unfortunately all these things, humanity has really struggled with. Like if you just take a, take like, basic world history class. You're like, dude, we've struggled with <laughs> oppressing people and devaluing people across the board, every people group of every time. We've really struggled with exactly what James is talking about, like as humanity. And we all know, right, in a lot of ways, like that's the sin of racism that has plagued the world forever. James is talking about it in a socioeconomic, but again, this, this applies to everything. Because once again, anytime we ascribe more or less value, dignity, and privileges to someone based on their differences, right? How they look, 
color of their skin, where they're from, how much money they have, whether they fit in or not, right? That's evil. That's sin. It's not just wrong. It's like, no, it's evil. That's sin. That's not how God designed it. And as Christians, just like any other sin, uh, we're not immune to struggling with this ourselves. I wish, we, I wish we were immune. I wish I could just tell you, hey, because you're saved and you know Jesus, you're never going to struggle with this kind of stuff. You're just going to like treat people the same regardless of who they are and how they look and how much money they have and how they talk and where they're from. And... Um, Unfortunately, I would say that we're not immune to showing favoritism. We're not immune to discrimination. And even James knew this. And he's speaking to Christians some 2,000 years ago. Again, these are Jewish believers in Gentile cities. And there's this type of stuff going on. Again, we're not immune to this. Whether that's subconscious or conscious or because of our own environment or because of stereotypes... It doesn't, doesn't matter if we're Christian or not. We can be tempted to view anyone as lesser. It's just a thing that we got to be honest with, that we're not immune to it, and there may be areas for us to grow. So again, whether it's socioeconomic status, whether it's ethnicity, or anything other, any other difference, like you name it, what the Word of God is cautioning against is favoritism. He's challenging us to ascribe equal value and equal dignity and equal love towards everyone the same. And again, you guys know, like, that, that is not really the norm of a lot of the world's messaging over time. Like, that's just not. Oh, well, if you have more this, then you're more important. Or if you are part of this certain thing, then you have more prestige, or if you look a certain way, or whatever it is. Like, over time, this is not the message. What James is saying is Christians are supposed to be different. (laughs) They're supposed to view God's creation as God himself views creation with equal love and dignity and priorities. And again, James is bringing up one example, but it applies to every difference that you can imagine. And again, reading a text or talking about a topic like this, I do want us to be lovingly challenged to search our hearts. If there is anywhere, we may need to grow in in any of this. And I want to make sure you get me here and that I'm not blaming any of you right now. I don't want you to feel guilt. That's not what I'm doing. But rather, I want us to be humble enough Even if we think, we're great. We don't struggle with this at all. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. I don't think so, but it's fine. (laughs) I would agree too. Like, this is the same for me. We just got to be humble enough to ask God to be open if there's any area where we need correction. Like, whether or not. And again, I understand that, like, all these topics can be hard and triggering, and I I don't mean it to be that way. I just wanted to take this topic And I want us to just submit ourselves to God. I want us to ask God for us all to grow in love, to grow in compassion, to grow in empathy. Rather, uh, and, and, you know, I want us to grow in compassion and empathy and become more like Jesus in how we treat others. I guarantee you all of us have room to grow, myself included. Guarantee you. But again, 
That, that's just one part. So James leads out of the gates that way. But then he doesn't stop there because, again, he wants to connect it a little bit to a larger theme. And what James does here as he moves through this text is he brings up the hypocrisy or the double-facedness that happens when we love God and claim to be religious, but then we turn around and treat people poorly. He says it can't happen. He says, he says that's just, it just can't happen. And again, James and the whole Bible, it's, it's, it's all about living an authentic life not to be two-faced. And right, this is the key. This is what the, the Christian could, should consist of and what we should strive for is when God changes us, it's genuine and consistent whether people are watching you or not, whether you're around Christians or not, whether it's Sunday or not. We should just be the same person always. So what James is warning them about, he's like, hey, don't try to just fake it when you need to, but you should treat others even when no one's around. Because again, how you treat others and think of others and say things to others is a direct representation of you, how you love God. And again, uh, like trying to love other people, like I, we should try, but again, we should just be changed. We should be continuing to be changed from the inside out so that loving other people that are different than us just becomes natural. Right? If we have a really hard time loving anyone all the time, then you're like, wow, okay. That means I got to like do some heart work. Like if you're always just like, I hate everyone all the time. I just, I can't love anyone. You're like, okay, well, I think there's just more work that God wants to do in you. I think you should try, but also there's like some deep work that God wants you to surrender to. But again, I think we, we've all been taught that it's okay to just be surfacey, Or as long as we're good at face value, then that's okay. Because like, think about it. Like at your job, most of our jobs, you just, just do what you're told or do what you're expected or perform well. That's all that your job matters and your whole life outside of your job could be like a mess. They don't care. I don't know. It does, maybe it doesn't affect your job or maybe they don't care. But right, there's like consistency of life doesn't really, you know, your job doesn't really ask that of you. Just ask for performance and fill the quota and do well and do what you're supposed to and keep your job. But again, we're, we're, performance really matters on how we're doing on the outside most of the time at our work. Also, social, social media is a great, great, great example. Everyone wants just to be like, my life is amazing. Look where I went. Look what I did. Look what I got. But we only post the good stuff. It's only the good stuff. It's only what we think people would like. And it's very, like, face value. <laughs> like, I mean, I've said this before, but you know, like, social media is not real. Like, there's... Everyone has, like, the same or more problems than you. That's why it's so tricky. Like, oh, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. You're like, just trust me. They have a ton of stuff they don't post that you don't want. Like, we're all in it together. But, like, we all just play in the face value and, like, oh, my gosh, they're, like, so amazing. You're like, no, it's not. I guarantee it's not. Like, they got stuff just like us. 
Again, and we love, especially as Christians, this is where we struggle. We love to just be good. We love to just, when someone asks us how we're doing, we're doing great. You're like, I know you're not. That's okay. Just be honest. You can praise God, but then just be honest about where it's hard so I can pray for you. Like, you don't have to always just keep up this like perception. What the Bible asks over and over is just that we're genuine and real and authentic. And sometimes that means we're not always good. God's good. It's okay. But like life's horrible right now. Is that, that's not, it shouldn't be weird. Like you guys know, like what I'm talking about. Like we just, for some reason in Christianity, just go, I don't, we, Christians really struggle with being authentic and real. Because again, we want to be like super spiritual and good and like, and I think the Bible would say, yeah, of course, like God wants to be in you and grow you and heal you. And like, of course, God wants you to be you and good, but we live in a fallen world and we all got stuff and we all have complicated lives. And the Bible would rather say, hey, let's just be genuine and authentic and real and honest. Like these are the things that the Bible would ask us to cultivate. Instead of like, let's just put on the show and feel good and check the boxes. And as long as everything else, everybody else thinks I'm good, I'm good. You're like, no, that's not the point. We missed it. But again, Christianity isn't supposed to be a show. Um, and the results of Christ aren't supposed to just only be for sometimes around some people. But again, the Holy Spirit is supposed to transform us from the inside out so that our actions and our values and our thoughts and our priorities and our speech is like Christ's. Um, and our life is filled with the attributes of God's character and his word. And so I, I believe that James today, it's a sober warning. It's a sober cautioning. But at the same time, I think it's, I, I would rather see it as an opportunity for us this morning that God is giving us to examine our life. I think it's an opportunity that we could go, that we could stop and pause and actually examine the fruit of our life. Hey, is it kind of only on Sundays? Is it kind of only around Christians? If I was going to ask, if I was going to go to your work like Wednesday at 10 a.m. and like go into your boss's office and say, hey, so-and-so, do you think they're a Christian? And if I read off like the attributes of Jesus, I'm like, does, does their life look like this? What would they say? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But you know what I mean? Like if I ask someone that like doesn't come to church, what, what would they say the fruit of your life is? Same to be true to me. Like, you know what I mean? That's what James is saying. It's like, what is the fruit? Is it consistent all the time? And how, is, how are you treating the people around you, right? And I'll end by reading a section from Paul's letter to the Romans, exhorting them very similar, again, to James and Jesus and John, uh, how we ought to genuinely love and treat others. Again, just to try to like end here and I'll pray and we'll get into some more worship. But Paul, speaking to the church in Rome, says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Yeah, this, again, it's the same kind of thing. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. 
Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's end by praying and entering into worship. God, thank you for this loving reminder of how deeply you care about your people and how they treat other people. God, we do believe that as Christians, we are to be the ones that love those that are not loved. That we stand up for the marginalized and the pressed and the downcast. And you call us as believers to step into others' pain and to have compassion and sympathy and empathy for them. And God, we don't want to lose sight of that. And God, I want to grow in that. We all want to grow in this area, Lord. Especially, God, when people are different than us, when they dress differently, when they have a different amount of money, when they look different, when they're from different places. We want to treat them the way you would treat them. With equal love and care and dignity and honor and privilege. And so, Lord, as a church, we just submit ourselves to you and say, God, if there are areas where we need to grow, we want to we be open to growth. We want to be able to turn and, 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 and grow in those areas and stop doing the things which are harmful and hurtful to others around us. And God, I pray that it would start now during these few songs of worship as we take this time to respond. I pray that we would be able to sit before you in a posture, in a humble posture of being willing to examine our own hearts and really ask God that you would search our own hearts and illuminate any area where you would want us to grow. So God, as we enter into this time of worship, we pray that you would do all of that and be exalted at the same time. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.